Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. We're still in the I section, but not for long. We only have a couple of items to go, and then we'll be in the, I think, J. Okay, so ISL is the first item in the list. This is the integer set library. It's a thread-safe C library for manipulating sets and relations of integer points bounded by affine constraints. This is interesting to me because affine is a term I know. In fact, of that entire sentence, I think affine is very nearly the only term I know. I mean, I know what sets, I guess, are, and I, I guess I kind of know what relation is. I mean, not in the mathematical sense, and that's what they're talking about here. Affine, I also don't know what that actually is, but in Cadian Live, there are affine um, compositing effects. And so whatever affine means, I am familiar with that term from video effects, from open source video effects. It's not a term I've ever seen in anything but open source video. You know, you don't open up whatever the hot video editor on non-open source systems are these days. You don't open that up and see, do an affine blend. <laughs> That's not something that they call it. Oh, it's an affine blend. Good. Uh, no, Nobody would know what that means, and still nobody knows what affine means, except those who do. This is a library that, um, that will, in a thread-safe style, manipulate sets and relations of integer points bounded by affine constraints. I mean, that's exciting. Um, so I don't know what any, any of that means. It's it's a mathematical thing. I assume that if you are sitting around doing maths and you think, oh my gosh, I need to respect these affine constraints and I just don't have the library for it, then you're going to really, really get excited about ISL. The next one in the list is ISO codes. This is an ISO standard list. It is, I mean, it's a list of ISO standards. It is literally a list of ISO standards, which tells you, uh, or, or which, which governs how different countries and languages, um, express all kinds of things, or not governs, specifies, uh, because they're standards, um, and this is where you will find them, and and the convenient thing about this is that they're all in one place, which might not seem all that big of a deal, but it actually is. Uh, if you think about how many different ISO standard locations you could get something from, or, or rather, how many different packages you would need in order to, to have, you know, an ISO standard for each country or whatever, this one just bundles it all together and just, just gives it to you in one one complete package. So you'll find these in user share, USR share ISO codes. They're expressed as JSON, which is a convenient lead into the next thing that we're going to talk about, but not yet. Uh, they're expressed as JSON, so it's just a big data set of all of these different, um, of all these different standards. Now there is an XML set uh, included as well, but across the top of the XML files it tells you very clearly, very plainly, this is deprecated, use the JSON set instead. Uh, so, and if you look at the JSON, I mean, there's a couple of different files. No, I'm not actually sure which, why, why there are a number of files I haven't looked up, like, 
each ISO standard set or whatever. Um, but if you go in, you'll you'll see stuff, and it's just I mean it's just a list of all kinds of stuff like time zones and and uh, regions and provinces and names of places and so on. It's it's just it's huge. So I mean like let's look let's look WC L slash usr slash share slash iso dash code slash json slash iso underscore 3166-2.json why not 26,815 lines so that's the kind of data set you're talking about and then there are 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 about 16 of those files and I, I didn't do a line count of every one but we can assume that they're fairly large all of them so it is a lot of data great that it's in one package, and that's the package they're in. Okay, next are the standard scripts for install and, um, or the, yeah, the install package script, which is, uh, bundled with Slackware. I've mentioned this sort of in passing before. I've skipped it a lot of times. I might as well mention it again now, because it's been a while. This little script is the, you can, you can install all the packages from this software series with, uh, dot slash install dash packages assuming that it's executable, and it'll just install all the stuff within this directory, uh, I think. It could be the entire... No, I think it's just within this, within this, the L directory. Maybe it, maybe it, maybe it depends on what you, you feed it. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really see. But, um, I mean, I, I, I could sit here and read the script. I mean, it's only about 10 lines. It's super simple. So, if grep add var log setup temp, uh, set new tag, then true, this is not helping me at all, uh, install the selected packages there, for pkg in every, th yeah, so it, it is this, this directory, um, it, it finds all the t question mark z's, so tgz, tbz, txz, and installs them. This is a cute reminder, I think, of the facility that, that Slackware really does provide to install things. I mean, you know, like, I think, I think certainly me, I've, I've certainly fallen into habits, which sometimes aren't even habits, you know, they, they, I, I mean, I guess that's why I say I fell into them. It's just how I manage my packages on Slackware, how I go about installing them, where I go to first to find information about what I'm in, what I have installed, and so on. I don't know that any of the habits that I have are the best habits, and I don't know that they're the intended habits because there are tools what we've talked about previously, like PKG tool. Uh, that's not a tool that I can launch because I don't have the permissions. There we go. PKG tool. There's the current install packages from the current directory. So that's essentially an install dash packages. And then there's install packages from other directory. Remove packages that are currently installed. View the list of files containing uh, contained in a package. Choose Slackware installation scripts to run again. Exit PKG tool. So you know, there, there are, there's a tool chain here that, that exists. I mean, some of them I use all the time. Install PKG, upgrade and, uh, upgrade PKG, remove PKG, all of that stuff. I use the, those all the time, but they're, they're again, very sort of non-interactive. They're commands that you issue in the terminal and, and that's it. But I mean, packet PKG tool is also a command you issue in the terminal, but I mean, that's an interactive program. And, and there are others. And I just, I don't tend to use them. And it's nice to see these little scripts because you, you realize that in a, in a, in a pinch or, or under certain conditions or, or just according to a certain workflow, there's a different approach to installing stuff. Like you don't have to go through the Slackware installer and, 
and install all of the things that way. I think that's the easy way. That's the that that's probably the way you ought to do it usually. But if it's not for some reason the way that you did it, or if if you weren't able to do it that way, you can bootstrap a system and then grab the packages and then just run install packages, and and you'll get huge huge chunks of package sets all at once. And that's really, really convenient. And you kind of get a taste for that too if you go to Alien Bob's pages where he has like the latest KDE release, you know, and you could install that and 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 he tells you how to do it. And it's just, you know, it, and, and it's a matter of saying, you know, something like install PKG or upgrade PKG, depending on the use case, uh, you know, the path to the directory and then star t question mark is ed it's all the all the archives in this directory just install them or, or upgrade them or whatever so that's um that's install dash packages that's what that is there's also an uh, install dot end this file must be present to signal to set up that this is the last directory in this package series it serves no other purpose other than to make you use rot 13 to read the rest of this message at your own risk well that is intriguing so there's a little easter egg in here install dot end uh, that you have to use rot 13 in order to read and the way that you would do that should you uh find yourself curious about that is cat install dot uh end pipe rot 13 or i think you could probably do caesar space 13 i think is that correct yeah that is correct uh in fact i think rot 13 may point to caesar i think it might just execute um i don't even know where rot 13 is which rot 13 oh in user games okay huh? maybe it is an actual thing user games Route 13. Yeah, okay, it's an actual, it's an actual, it's a, it's a program. Well, what's Caesar then? I, I, I'm almost just so sure that one of those was just a pointer to another thing. Caesar doesn't seem to be in bin either. No, they, okay, they seem to both be valid executables. thought there was something in there that was a pointer to another one. Uh, anyway, um, so if you're curious, go to the Slackware uh, package list, which now I've, I've started including a link to that in all of the uh, show notes. Go there, go to the go to any software series set and look for install.end and do a cat on install.end. Like you have to download the file, then cat pipe uh, install.end pipe rot 13 or caesar space 13 and i'll give you a secret message all right next up is um iso no i did iso codes no, so that's the j that's all the eyes i wanted to finish with those that's right okay so the, the, those are the eyes and now we're going into the j's and that's gonna take a while i mean not not a, a really long time, but I'm going to make it take a long time because I'm going to talk about Janssen. And Janssen is a JSON parser or uh, a JSON library. Let's let's let Pat tell you what it is. Janssen is a C library for encoding, decoding, and manipulating JSON data. It features a simple and intuitive API and data model, including full Unicode support and has no dependencies on other libraries except, I guess, obviously for glibc. You can find out more about it on digip.org slash Janssen with two S's. Uh, and I think its current, its actual current page just goes to like github.com slash something slash Janssen. Um, but they, it, the project has really good documentation. And I think it's kind of worth going through the documentation. If, if you're at all curious about programming in C, if you're at all curious about sort of 
parsing data, which I have said before that honestly, like if, if you're thinking about, you know, programming and kind of like understanding what programming is a lot of it, like an inordinate amount of it in real life is just parsing data. It's just understanding how to take information in as one format, knowing how to read it, and then what to do with it all. And sometimes that's really direct. Like, I mean, like when we do a bash thing and I tell you, oh, you should, uh, you should, you should look at that file uh, through rot 13, you know, then you might at first say, okay, well, I'll do that then. I'll, I'll issue rot 13. That's, that's a valid command. And then I'll give it the name of the file that's in the current directory, install.end, and I'll press return. And it gives you an error and it says tr extra operand install.end. Try tr dash dash help. Why would I do that? I just ran rot 13. That doesn't make any sense. Well, obviously rot 13 must be just a, a script that's calling tr. So that's why we're getting tr error messages there. It's a bit confusing, but that's what it is. So then you think, okay, well, I'm going to cat install.end. And then I'm going to pipe it. Or actually, you know what? Let's just cat it. Okay, you see the data. There's the data. It's plain text. Oh, except about halfway through, it becomes garbled text. It's still plain text, but it, it doesn't make any sense to us. All right, so we understand now that what we really, really need to do is we need to pipe this thing through some kind of filter. And that filter in this case is rot13. So we pipe rot13, you do it, now the first half is garbled, and the second half reads uh, like normal uh, English text. Could you, could, could you devise a way to view the whole thing as, as real text, or the whole thing as garbled text if you prefer? Could you do that? Um, could you go in and extract just a part of that, of that message? That sort of thing. That's, that's programming. Um, and you might think, well, that seems really rudimentary. Well, it is, but I mean, there's also things like, uh, I would like to display an image. Just want an image viewer. How would you go about programming that? What would you need for an image to display on screen? Um, and you might think, well, I'm going to need a GUI library or like a framework, and, and that'll get me a window, and then I can tell the window to load in that JPEG, and then you realize you don't know what to do with the JPEG once you've loaded it. Like, maybe the GUI framework makes it super easy to, like, get a file dialog uh, yeah, a file uh, file chooser dialog box, and maybe you are able to choose the file name, but then you have to do something with that file name, and it turns out that that file name points to a thing on a disk that contains garbled text, or, or really binary data in that case. Well, binary data is just garbled text. I mean, it's not really, but it is. I mean, it's just, it is data, literal data, that doesn't make any sense to you when you're looking at it one way, but if you know what thing to filter it through, then suddenly it looks like a kitten, or whatever the photo is that you're loading into your little viewer. So that's, it's it's all about parsing data, whether it is loading an image, or, or putting an image on a button, because you want, you're, you're designing your own interface, or whether it's making an image run across the screen because you're making a video game, whether it's taking an image, well, I'm, I guess I'm really hyper-focusing now on images, but I mean, it could also be taking streams of, of, of messages from a server and, and, and parsing those for the ones that matter to the application that you're running, or it might be downloading a big chunk of 
research data and parsing it and turning it into a graph or, or, or running the numbers and seeing what percentage of something has occurred and so on. It's just programming is parsing data. So the, the more you get better and used to and comfortable with that. And, and sometimes that data, like the JPEG example or, or any of the examples, sometimes that data, like the, the quote unquote filter you need to run it through, it isn't like in Bash where you just pipe it and put it through another program, but it might be sort of similar in a way because you, you, you use a library within that programming language that, that is programmed to recognize that kind of data. And so when you grab that data within your program, as long as you tell your program, hey, this chunk of binary data, it is of the type whatever, JPEG image or statistics data dump or, or, you know, whatever type of data it is, that's the type of data it is. And now I have methods from this library or functions that I can do to that chunk of data because we're all talking the same language. And the way that you're talking that language is because this library happens to know how to look at this data that is otherwise foreign to you. And that goes for a lot of different things. Like I say, it could be a data stream, it could be an image, it could be plain text, it could be text in a different language, it could be a, a, a format of structured data, of like configuration data, like YAML or JSON in the case of Jansen, it is JSON. So let's go get a cup of coffee and then we're going to pick apart this demo application. And it's going to be maybe a little bit boring, but maybe a little bit interesting too. Um, it's in C, so it's going to be, it's going to be in C. I mean, and I'll talk about what that means to you and what that means to me. Um, I'm not a big, huge fan of C. I mean, I am in theory, but not in practice. I don't love hanging out in C. And I'll explain why. But first, we have to go get coffee. So let's go do that. We'll come back, talk about Jansen. coffee. This is Bomber Coffee again from Flight Coffee. It, as I've said before, it's kind of my new go-to coffee, I guess. I certainly do enjoy it. Lost in Bronx was talking to me the other day, and he mentioned Kona Coffee, and I realized, have I said this already? Might have said this in a previous episode, but I realized that I haven't had Kona Coffee in ages. But back in the U.S., I guess probably because Kona is from the U.S., uh, back in the U.S., it's a, it's a pretty standard sort of like, uh, I guess like, I don't know if you'd call it high-end, but kind of a respectable coffee, you know? You, you kind of get a Kona coffee and you think, okay, that's going to be a good cup of coffee. But here in New Zealand, you just don't get Kona coffee. I guess we don't get the imports from uh, of Kona from the U.S. And I, I don't know why not, but I do kind of, I kind of miss it now, now that he's mentioned it. Um, but bomber it is right now, and it is quite good. Deep, flavorful, rich coffee. Now, let's talk about this Jansen thing. Jansen has... Great documentation, really solid documentation, including, I don't know, approximately 175 line demo application. The good news is that it's 175 lines only. Uh, the bad news is that it's all code. Uh, I mean, not all code, but there's not, you know how some demo applications, it's like, yeah, it's, it's 100 lines, but there are 25 lines of comments explaining what's happening. 
No, this is pretty much all code. Um, there's a little bit of extra white space, but a couple of comments here and there. A lot of the comments are inline, so they they just appear after the code, so you don't get that new, you know, the new line count. So, yeah, this is all code. I'm going to try to make it a little bit entertaining through commentary. I mean, I'm not going to tell jokes or anything, but I'm going to try to... I don't want to just read code because I don't think that's useful, but I, I really feel like this is worth stepping through, and, and I, I think you'll see why eventually. So, the first... and And so the other good news is that the first... 100 lines, literally the first 100 lines, is just doing, just being a C programmer. Let's put it that way. And and you'll see what I mean. So hash include standard lib.h, hash include string.h. Those are sta standard, literally standard, standard lib. They're, they're just the imports that you do with C. And, and if you've heard a demo C application on this program ever before, then you've heard, I just called this podcast a program. When, when have I ever done that? Um, I like that though, this program. It's like an old TV program. Um, anyway, standard lib string. Okay, good. Next, include curl, curl slash curl.h and include jansen.h. Those are not normal. Those are, those are unique to this application. Curl, of course, being the famous library to, to, to browse the internet non-interactively through the terminal. Uh, and, and yes, it is also a library. I mean, there's the command. You might know curl through the command. That's how I know it best. But it's also a library. And then Jansen is the package that we're talking about. Hash define buffer size 256 times, or, or star, I should say, asterisk 1024. And that does indicate multiplication. So it's just saying that the buffer size is going to be 256 kilobytes. Pretty sizable buffer for most things, I think. Um, and so that's what we've reserved hash define URL format, quote, https colon slash slash api.github.com slash repos percent s percent s commits. So this is just giving sort of a printf kind of um, uh, standard string, hard coding the string of the URL, where the percent s's are going to be replaced by some information, but specifically by some strings. So this knows exactly where it wants to go. So this is, this is a really simple application, and it's 175 lines, because it can only, it's only compatible with GitHub. It's not going to parse commits from GitLab or notabug.org or Codeberg or any other place. It's it's exactly keyed for GitHub, api.github.com. I want to kind of emphasize that because that's, this is simple. 175 lines of C code. This is simple. This has no variation in the URL format. Hard-coded. Hash define URL underscore size 256. All right. So we've got variables that have been created. We've got memory on reserve. So we start with static int new line underscore offset const car um, asterisk text. So that's uh, creating a pointer. Uh, close parentheses curly brace. Const car asterisk new line. So we've created a pointer called new line, which is going to be a constant uh, of a character type, str, chr, text, col uh, comma, um, so that's string, uh, and then uh, apostrophe backslash n, close apostrophe. If it's not a new line, if what we encounter is not a new line, then we return the string length of this thing, text, this, this const car text. Else, we return an integer uh, of the new line minus the text. 
Okay, and then we do a struct write result car asterisk data int pos static size underscore t write response void star ptr comma size underscore t size size underscore t and it goes on like this right and 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 the result is an error code uh, or an error um and it, 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 there's an error and the error is that the uh buffer is not large enough to contain the data that you're trying to put into it now upon success then you you take the data that you got and you put it into a into a holding place which we will then process next function and so we're at line like 40 now and then there's static car uh, asterisk request so this sounds like it's going to start some curl stuff because it's a request uh const car asterisk url curl uh the, so the data type is curl c u r l all capitals curl asterisk curl so that's the a pointer to the contents of curl equals null curl code status semicolon struct curl underscore s list asterisk headers equals null car asterisk data equals null long code so we've created a bunch of uh variables there we've set them to null just to start them off uh, you know, very well defined, uh, but they exist. So now we've got things like curl underscore global underscore init, which is which is going to call the curl underscore global underscore all um, function from the curl library. Don't know what it is. Didn't look it up. Curl equals curl underscore easy underscore init parentheses parentheses. If no curl, go to error. Data equals malloc buffer size. Um, if no data go to error struct write underscore result write underscore result equals dot data equals data comma dot pos equals zero curl underscore easy underscore set opt curl comma curl opt underscore earl earl okay we're at line 90 now and all we've done is set up the ability to intake a url and to treat that url as data that we can feed to curl this is c programming okay this is this is that's that i mean every time you want to write a program that does these things that that's that's what you're in for um so th then there's um there's some curl options like header setting easy set options for curl all of these little functions that curl the curl library very kindly provides so that you don't have a hundred more lines of stuff to program around curl and then there's some curl easy cleanup curl global cleanup finally you get your data you get your results and you return the data and then you process whether you even have data so if the data exists then you free it up if if curl was running then you make sure that you've cleaned up all the curl stuff if you've got headers then you do you free all headers and so on so there's a good um 89 to no so there's a good 10 lines of just kind of like cleaning up after your your workspace um just after having gotten the url so at this point in the in the program you have um you've got you've been able to verify that you can get the the url that the that the user has requested now that the the user is requesting um this this URL based on inputs and we don't have those inputs yet so here's where all that happens this is int main so that's vaguely familiar if you have ever looked at C code you've probably seen an int main function parentheses int argc car star argv 
bracket bracket parentheses curly brace so we've 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 done the the typical incantation for int main and that is that so so integer we're going to return an integer that's what int is main that's the name of the function a lot of um a lot of things expect there to be a main function. Uh, so int argc, that's the count of the arguments, and then car star argv bracket bracket, that's uh, that's all of the characters involved in the arguments provided. Setting up some variables here, size underscore ti, uh, car star text, car url, bracket url underscore size, close bracket, and then we got json underscore t asterisk root, json underscore error underscore t error, um, and then catching an improper call to our little application that we're building here. So if argc is not equal to three, not if it's less than or over, it's just if it is not equal to exactly three, then we have a problem. So stop, do an f print f standard error usage percent s user repository uh, return return or line break line break argv zero f print f standard error list commits at users repository. So that's what we're doing here. We're we're making a a program that lists all the commits at a specific repository. And in order to get that, we need, remember from the very top, we needed uh, the standard URL um, syntax was api.github.com slash, I think something, and then percent %s, percent %s slash commits or something like that. So we need the percent %s values. We need a username and a repository name because that's how GitHub formats its little, you know, reports. On, on commits. It's, it's not a git thing, that's specifically a github thing. Uh, I mean, GitHub, git, you have a lot of, you know, you, you would have a different, well, git, you wouldn't be, it doesn't have an API, so you wouldn't be doing this to git, but I'm saying that that URL structure is a github, is how github does that. And maybe, I don't know, maybe others, others do as well, but very specifically, if you go to that URL on github, you'll see all the commits, apparently. S in print, F, uh, URL, URL size, URL format, argv1, argv2. So one and two, why? Because we know how exactly how many arg counts there are now. We can, we're, we're sure that if, if the, if the user has gotten this far, they have not encountered the error saying that they didn't give us enough arguments. So we can confidently expect that the arguments are there and there. So, uh, and three, because one argument, zero, is the name of the application itself, and then there's argument, argument. So one and two are the user and the repo name. Text equals request parentheses URL, close parentheses. Hey, we, we know what that means. We have a URL variable. We've, we've validated that. It's all good. If there is no text, then return one. So that's not good. Root equals JSON underscore loads. Text zero ampersand error. This is that this is the first use of Jansen we see. We're, we're looking, we're getting the JSON loads um, function. So we know that the data at that URL is JSON data. Well, I say, I say we, we, we trust, I should say, we trust that the data that we've gotten from that URL is JSON data because we haven't really, we haven't validated that, right? We, we're just saying, as far as we know, if you go to this URL that I've hard-coded and that you've given me the arguments for, then you're going to find, J, uh, yeah, JSON data there. So we're saying the root is going to be JSON loads the text from that URL. But if not root, and this is the next couple of lines, if exc exclamation mark root, 
So if not root, then print a standard error, error on line blah, error line error text, return one. Now if the JSON isn't is not an array, so if it doesn't check out, then we'll we'll throw another error. And and again, we're using a, a Jensen function here. If exclamation mark JSON underscore is underscore array, the exclamation mark cancels it out. So we're saying run JSON is array on root on the root element of of, of this data, which which should be the top. You know that should be the start of the data. And if that fails, then f print f standard error error root is not an uh, an array JSON underscore decref d e c r e f I didn't look up that function so I don't know what that's talking about root return one all right so now we have to assume that everything must be correct we must have a root element at the top of our of our document uh, and we must have JSON data afterwards. So for parentheses i equals zero semicolon i is less than json underscore array underscore size of parentheses root close parentheses semicolon i plus plus. Standard C for loop you're saying let's start i out our, our little iterator uh, value uh, it's a temporary uh, value i equals zero. We're, we're going to throw it away when we're done with it. You don't have to use i. I think it's pretty common for people to use i for some reason. I think it might stand for like iteration or maybe incrementer, something like that. I, I kind of like c for like count, but everyone uses i. So for i equals zero, so i is set to zero, and then we say, okay, as long as i is less than json array size, and which which json array? Root, the, the thing that we've called root, the thing that we've gotten from curl, dumped into text, and then put into root. Uh, then keep doing this loop. But after each loop, semi, uh, yeah, semicolon, i plus plus, meaning add one to i. So the next time we are here, i will be equal to one. We don't have to write that down. The computer will do that for us. JSON underscore t uh, pointer data, or uh, asterisk data, comma, asterisk shot, comma, asterisk, commit, comma, asterisk, message, semicolon. So what we're doing there is creating a variable, or pointers really, um, of JSON underscore T. And we're, we're creating one, two, three, four, four in one go. We could do that differently. We could say JSON underscore T pointer data, uh, asterisk data, semicolon, JSON underscore T, asterisk, SHA, semicolon, and so on. But we just do it all at once for shorthand. Const car asterisk message underscore text semicolon okay data equals json array get root comma i so now we are because we're still in that for loop so now we're getting the we're getting the we're getting each object essentially from you know from where it falls within within that root document so json array git well which one well root but which element out of root well whatever the i the ith you know it's not the nth it's the ith the ith uh, instance of the of the data so in the first pass it'll be the zeroth and then the first and then the second and then the third and then the fourth and so on now we have a little bit of a checker here to make sure that the data is still valid gotta take a drink of coffee there okay so um then next is oh yeah so there's an error thing so it's if exclamation json is object data uh then is did i say exclamation point that's what i meant to say explanation json underscore is underscore object of the data then we print a standard error error commit data percent d, d is not an object and for percent d we substitute uh an integer 
value of i plus 1. So in other words, the one that we were trying to get next, that's not any good. Uh, JSON, decref, root, return 1. So that's an error that, that'll bail out, us out of this application should something go horribly wrong. SHA equals JSON underscore object underscore get data SHA. If, again, exclamation JSON is string fails, if that string, if, if, if the data in where SHA is is not a string, then we print an error. Commit percent delta, SHA is not a string, and so on. So we do that for the string, we do that for the commit data, we do that for the message. Now the commit we expect to be a um, an object, the message we expect to be a string. Uh, and then really last couple of lines here. So that's 161 lines of code, and a lot of it's just repetition, right? You're doing you're doing essentially the same thing for the the commit, the message, the SHA, and the one that I've already forgotten. What was it? Root. The, is that right? The root? It's not an object. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So um, that that's all just repetitious. You're just doing that over and over again. Um, and then message underscore text equals JSON underscore string underscore value message. Print it to the terminal, it looks like. Um, do a new line... Uh, message text. And then JSON decref again, didn't, still didn't look that up, return zero, meaning if we're here, everything must have worked. We haven't bailed out, so that's that's our int, zero. That's what we've returned for this function. And that's the whole program. That's 172 lines, but I think I, I, think I might have deleted like two lines um, earlier when I was looking at that. And that's pretty much the application. Now to compile that application, it's a little bit, takes a little bit of doing. Um, there are a couple of things that you have to do to get it to work. So it's gcc-o if you if you want, um, dash o, what was it? Well, you can call it whatever you want, I guess, but I guess it would make sense to just call it github, github underscore commits. Uh, and then you give it the dash L, dash lowercase L, dash L Jansen, J-A-N-S-S-O-N, space dash L curl. So you're telling it specifically, hey, you need to include the library for Jansen and the library for curl. And your system knows about those libraries thanks to package config. And that's why you don't have to give like full paths and things like that. It knows where to find those things. And then you give it the source code itself, github underscore commits dot C. It compiles really fast. And then you do a dot slash github underscore commits. And it successfully tells you that, no, you can't do this. Uh, you need to give me user and repository. So if I do a dot slash github commits, not clat to, um, I don't know, PC 404. There is no such no such repository. Okay, well, let me go to github slash not clatu, I guess. I don't use github often, and in fact, I tend to um, use it for work. I, I tend to use like git GitLab and things like that instead of github, but I do have a couple of things on github if only to get people to go to my other <laughs> repositories. So I'm going to put in, uh, let's do bash crawl. And there we go. There's a list of the commit hashes on the left and the messages on the right. And it occurs to me that I probably need to update this repository because that is that is not in sync with the GitLab activity at all. Uh, there's trashy. There's a bunch of commits there. Uh, that seems pretty up to date. Maybe, possibly. I'm not really sure. So yeah, um, that's it. That's Jensen. It's parsing JSON data and spitting it back out into the terminal. And 
now you kind of hear or you've heard what it takes to program in C in a way. I mean, I know I kind of rushed through a lot of that, but I, I, I think I think that it's telling. I mean, like it does. I think the beauty of C that a lot of people appreciate about it is just how close to the bare metal it is. I mean, it's not really that close, I guess, but I mean, it is kind of close. I mean, it's it it as you could tell from the repetition of a lot of the the components of that application, like there's there there's a lot in there that you just keep doing over and over again. And I don't mean like little if if then functions. I'm talking about like the the back and forth of like okay I'm going to create some variables they're going to be of a certain data type I'm going to put data into those variables I'm going to read that data I'm going to free that data up and then I'm going to create some new variables or some pointers to to data and so on so it's it's it is it's a lot of kind of like the same basic principles and I mean this is a basic application too so obviously with the addition of other C libraries this can get a lot more complex but I think one of the things that people like about it is that kind of i don't know simplicity and and i do mean like simplicity i i don't mean i could hand this to the mythical grandmother who's never used a computer before and she'll know she'll understand this it's 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 just it's simple because it is it has been kept simple it has not it has not developed into something very complex you 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 learn c and then you kind of know c and i think there is a beauty to that i mean i think honestly that's kind of why i like lua you learn a little bit of lua and now you know all of lua it's just what you do with what you know that makes the difference and lua is very you know kind of close ish to c in 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 philosophy anyway. Um, and so I think there's there's some similarity there. I think the part of C that drives me away from it is the just the the repetition of effort. And and I just I feel like there's so much in C sometimes where you're doing these things and you're just thinking, I know someone else has done this already before. Why can't I just use that? And of course you can. I mean there are other libraries in C that you can use that do things that you so you don't have to do them. But I do find that C uh, very often it's it's got a lot of like low level work that you suddenly have to do yourself and you're just thinking no there there's got to be an easier way for this whereas something like for instance um java or python or lua i mean those just kind of like there is an awful lot in there that someone has done before and it's just integrated into the language itself that comes at a cost you get you get you know languages that 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 are a lot sort of larger and more complex and so on but but i i i think that that convenience i think i'm a very lazy programmer personally and i i just think c is a lot of a lot of work i i, I that's obviously just from my own perspective that's not saying i mean i know lots of people who do absolutely i mean heck I'm using amazing stuff that people have done in C, so I don't, I'm not saying C is not worthwhile, I'm not saying C is, is too much work for everyone, I'm just saying for me personally, for the little things that I do with programming, C is, is awfully a lot of work, and there are other things that just seem to be a little bit easier. But I mean, again, there's a cost there, you, you know, like, with C, I mean, 
there's a lot of convenience there that you can just you could just have C code and people can compile it and run it and it's just going to work on most platforms. Whereas I mean Python's going to work on most platforms too, but I mean how on earth are you supposed to package that? I mean good luck. Have fun learning Python packaging for the next two years. Uh, Java. I mean again kind of the same thing. Plus I mean what are people going to have to download to run your Java application? Lua nobody runs it. Nobody has it. Where's that going to go? So there you know C is just kind of like this really base I mean it is it's simple it's baseline it, there's a lot of advantage to knowing and working in C so it's just you know do I want to spend all afternoon writing C code I, I'm not so sure but th th that's I, I just wanted to kind of give a, a, a sample of of everything about C about JSON about data parsing I just I think this is an interesting look at that because JSON is a really really robust and and powerful data interchange format. It really is. Like, it's just, it's nice. I mean, it's not as pretty as YAML. There's a lot more to kind of like keep track of. But then again, is it? I mean, YAML has a bunch of invisible spaces that you cannot see and that you're meant to track. Whereas JSON doesn't make you figure that stuff out. So, I mean, I don't know. JSON is is really, really, I, I think, a really nice data interchange format. It really is. I, I would use, uh, I love that JSON exists. I love when people use JSON. I don't, again, I don't really love looking at JSON, uh, but then again, sometimes I do, you know, like sometimes that is a really great format for data. And, and as with a lot of data formats, there's a time and a place. JSON probably wouldn't make sense for, for, for one kind of data, uh, while it might make a lot of sense for another kind of data. So sometimes, you know, JSON makes more sense than XML, which makes more sense than INI, which makes more sense than a binary blob, which makes more sense than, you know, some other format that nobody knows about. Uh, and it, everything always makes more sense than YAML, practically. Uh, so it, it's it's a nice format. It's great to understand. It's great to be able to parse it. It's great that there are libraries that help us parse it in lots of different languages, including C. And now you know Jansen is the way to do that. That's it for this episode. Next time, we'll continue with the J's, maybe dip into the K's. We'll see. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
the heck? I'm human. We're all human here. We're not monsters from outer space. 